when I first accepted the call to be pastor here, I received a call from the stated clerk of our presbytery, Henry Lewis Smith. Many of you know Henry Lewis Smith or, or knew him. He has been promoted to higher service, as uh, Presbyterians used to say. He's in glory. HLS was the pastor at uh, the Monroeville Church for many years. And he, he called to give me several pieces of advice. The first was, never preach a sermon over 20 minutes. <laughs> and I kindly said, yes, sir, and, uh, and then ignored it. Uh, <laughs> the second, though, has always stuck with me. It's really important. He said, don't ever call people who live in small towns simple. There's this, there's this common idea in our culture that small town people are simpletons or are very simple people who don't have complex lives, right? The, the big cities, that's where things are really bad and that's really where we need to focus our attention and, and they have complex lives and they're learned and they know what they're talking about, but, but you know, a lot of times small town folk get the reputation of those things not being true. He said, don't ever tell people that. Don't ever think of them as simple or simpletons. That just because they don't live in a, small, a big town doesn't mean they don't have really complicated, hard lives. Remember, Colossi and Bruton have a lot in common. And at the top of the list is that they are both small town, small churches. Paul doesn't see the Colossians as simple people. In fact, some of the highest language that Paul writes in any of his letters are included in, uh, in Colossians. He sees them rather as people who need help to know how to walk with the Lord and how to navigate a complex world as Christians in a complex small town. Last week we saw Paul, uh, he reported that he was praying for the Colossian church, and today we get really the content of that prayer. And in it, he focuses his prayer that the Colossians would know God's will. And knowing God's will, what he requires of them, uh, they would then live godly lives. And all that is based on what the Father has done for them and for us. And so we pick up with verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Ever since Epaphras had brought to Paul in Rome a mostly good report about what was going on in the Colossian church, he has known better how to pray for them. He prayed for them before, he indicates that, but now he knows better how to pray for them. Remember that the Colossians were facing two, uh, especially two pronged threats. Um, the first was the great temptation for these Gentile Christians who had come out of wild, sensuous living to go back to wild, sensuous living. Certainly something we understand, the, the pull of our culture and an um, over-sexualized culture that we live in. The second, though, was there was an influx of bad teaching, of heretical teaching. It's called the Colossian heresy. And if you read 10 different commentaries, you'll get 12 different opinions about what it is. But it, it seems to have been a combination of Christian, Jewish, and pagan teaching, uh, especially uh, centering around uh, observance of the Jewish law and certain days and festivals, uh, seemingly to make up for the pull of the flesh. It, it was confusing. They all agreed there was a problem, and now what's the solution to the problem? They were threats that they were facing. In the midst of that kind of pressure, Paul has been praying very specifically that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. They didn't need extra teaching. They didn't need to look outside what they already had. They didn't need to go to some conference and find out what the ten rules to successful living uh, were. 
You know, they didn't need anything in the Walmart checkout line or at Walgreens, the spiritual section. Generally, stay away from those. See, Paul speaks in his letters of God's will in two specific ways. The first is what's called his decorative will, that which he has ordained, what shall come to pass. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about God's revealed will, that is uh, his word, of what God requires of us of how we are told we are to live. And also God's grace and his mercy, those things too. But especially here, he's talking about things like when Jesus shows up on the Sermon on the Mount and tells us and unpacks God's law more for us and, and tells us that, you know, if, if you're angry in your heart, that's actually murder. Or if you uh, lust in your heart or your mind, that's actually adultery. You know, you know, things that we need to know in order to live godly lives in a complex, small town like Bruton. So he prays that they just wouldn't know these things, but they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Do you know how mostly we are filled with the knowledge of God's will? It's really complicated. It's called the Bible. Uh, it's really complicated, right? We open up God's word and we study God's word, and by the Spirit, he gives us understanding of how we are to live our lives. Now, now here's the thing. A lot of times people will compare Bruton to Mayberry. Have you heard this? I've heard it a lot. Um, now, look, I love Bruton. Our family loves Bruton. And we have so many blessings in Bruton, especially for a small town. And we have a, a, a pool, an indoor pool at a YMCA um, that, uh, that's just amazing. Small towns don't have that kind of thing. We have a great school system. We have lots of great things. But, you know, Mayberry was fake. Did you know that? Um, there were very few problems in Mayberry, except for Aunt B getting into the old remedy, you know. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the complex world we live in. Let's talk about the peer pressure that our students face and the sexual temptations that are before us all, broken relationships and broken marriages, uh, a poverty rate of 18.4% in Bruton, a county that's 23.8%. Almost a quarter of the people live in our county in poverty. Uh, or the meth problem we have, or the overcrowded jails, or just the pressures of juggling busy lives, and overdue bills, and trying to find better jobs, and the demands of the sports field, and the need to tie up money for retirement, and but what about i got to pay my bills this week, and, and what about college, and, or good health care, or access to good doctors, or what if your marriage is falling apart? What about that neighbor who doesn't like you? The small town, you're going to see them at Walmart every day. Right? It's complicated, not to mention inflation. We're blessed to live here, but don't, any, don't let anybody ever tell you that small town life is simple. Paul didn't think so. God's word does not think so. We live in a complex world, in a complex town. And so I think, more I think about it, this prayer is an amazing prayer for the Bruton Church. Lord, fill us with the knowledge of your will, that we may know how to live. But, it, but it's really important. It's not just knowledge, head knowledge. Notice that it says in or with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We've been talking about Romans 8 on Wednesday nights. So we invite you to come. Uh, and one of the things we've talked about is if you are walking in the spirit, if you, if you are spiritual, it's not talking about some uh, mystic kind of thing or a certificate you get from going to seminary. 
if you are a Christian, you are spiritual. You have the Spirit within you. So he's, he's saying that may the Holy Spirit grant you understanding of God's Word and of His will for your life. You know, this is one of the most vital roles of the Holy Spirit's ministry, is to illumine the pages of Scripture and to enlighten our hearts that we may not know, not know just the content of Scripture, but how to love it and how to understand it, how to accept it, how to submit to it, and how to apply it to our lives. Um, Paul wants to be so filled with the knowledge of God's will, but for a specific purpose. For a specific purpose. And that's so that they can live godly lives in their complex small town. Look at 10a. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. He's going to use Old Testament language here to talk about how we live our lives. He's not talking about your gait of your walk, you know, so many inches long. He's talking about holiness. And that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I was in a fraternity in college, um, Alpha Tau Omega. And in a fraternity, it's a big deal when you get your fraternity pin. It means you've been fully initiated. I lost mine, and I bought a new one on eBay. Uh, <laughs> but it was a big deal when you get it, and, and there were regulations about when you could wear it and how you could wear it. It had to be over your heart. It had to be straight up and down. You had to wear a collared shirt and long pants. You could not wear shorts and your fraternity pin. Now, apparently, you could do really ungodly things while you're wearing your fraternity pin. But you were supposed to only wear it in a worthy manner. Why? Because your actions and how you look reflected on the fraternity. It's the same idea here. That how we act might be worthy of the Lord. Might be worthy of our Savior who has laid down His life for us. To act like Jesus did. What does it look like to act like Jesus did in a small town? To take not just what we've learned in Scripture, but to take it and to apply it to our lives, seeking to please Him. You know, I don't think this is something we think a lot about. About seeking to please the Lord. Um, I've really really begun trying to think more and more about this. Because we talk so much, and rightly so, about how we have a right relationship with Christ with the Lord based on what Christ has done. We are declared righteous. It is true. Amen. But that doesn't mean that God is not displeased when we sin. He is displeased when we sin. It's not like He's unaware of our sin. It's not like he, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Holy Spirit, uh, and He will discipline us when we continue in sin. And so out of who we are, forgiven in Christ, declared righteous, saved, accepted, redeemed, and ransomed, we are freed then to live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, not out of fear that we will lose our salvation, but because of our salvation, we should desire to please the Lord, the one who has laid down his life for us. Just like a son would want to please his father. Now his father, if it's a healthy family, will love his son no matter what comes. There's a difference between being loved and pleasing the Father. What does it look like for you to please the Lord in your workplace? Or students, when uh, your friends want you to do something kind of shady. 
Or, or, or I'm about to do my taxes. Mm. What does it look like to please the Lord when I render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? What about when there's gossip around the table? And that text comes and you want to share it? Or you want to click? You know you shouldn't. See, it's not just that we be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritualism and understanding, but so as for the purpose of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. He goes on to say, uh, to increase in the knowledge, I think I skipped a page, sorry. So what does it look like? Paul, Paul is going to unpack here the idea of, um, of pleasing the Lord, living in a manner worthy of the Lord, and he's going to give us four ways to do it, four ways to do it. Or four additional qualifiers. And the first is that we would bear fruit in every good work. Last week we looked at the gospel bearing fruit in the world. It was going forth and people were being saved. Just as it was as they, the Colossians, received the word of truth, comma, the gospel. It bore fruit in their lives unto salvation. This, Paul is going to pick up on that same language, both in the Greek and the English here. It's not a coincidence that, that there would be fruit bearing forth in our lives. What this means is that we would take what we've learned know how to please the Lord, and then we'd actually do it. You know, God actually created us for good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, uh, for you are created uh, by God for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. So God has prepared good works for us in our workplaces, in our families, and Paul prays that we would know what that is, we would be able to do it, pleasing to him, and it would bear fruit in our lives. Then he goes on to continue and say that they, we, would increase in the knowledge of God. Now this sounds like something we've already read, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. But here, it's it's not his will, it's of God here. I think there's a nuance here. I think he's talking about growing in our relationship with the Lord. Growing in maturity. Of having an ever-deepening understanding of God's love for us. And that being echoed by our love for him. Christy and I got married um, July 26, 2008. I got that right, didn't I? Good. Uh, and when we got married, I knew her birthday. I knew her favorite flower. I knew what kind of car she drove. I knew that she was lovely, beautiful, pretty, drop-dead gorgeous, and really nice to boot. And now, 14 years later, I know those things, but I know them a lot better and a lot more. Why is that? Well, at about 2.30ish or so, when the pastor said, now I pronounce you man and wife, we were legally married. The estate of marriage existed. But our marriage has grown. It's like that with, when we become believers. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, repent of our sins, put our faith in Him, then that relationship exists. And nothing can change that. But God calls us to grow in that relationship. As we learn more about him and his word, that we would get to know him better. The third thing we hear, see here is that we would be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. This has become my prayer for myself on hard days. Have you had those days when you just don't think you can go one more step? When you think you've 
you're on your last limb, and then God gives you a nice shove, and you go further than you thought you could, surely you've had those days. And we're reminded that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Same idea here. That you would be strengthened with all power, not some, not a little bit, with all power, according to his glorious might. I love this. It's not just that he's strong, he is, but his glorious might, his weighty might, his magnificent might. See, God calls us to live in a manner worthy of him, and then he's going to give us, as we look to him for help, the strength to do it. If a millionaire, one illustrator, one commentator said this, said, you know, if a millionaire gives you out of his riches, he might give you 10 bucks. If he gives you in accordance to his riches, he's given you a lot of money based on the measure of his riches. That's what's in view here. God is not stingy with the strength that, to, that we need to fulfill this call to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, if we, if we continue, which I do all the time, if we try to pursue godliness in our own strength, it'll be very ugly indeed. And God is not pleased by that. But when we turn to the Lord in desperation, oh Lord, according to the riches of your glorious might, I need strength today so that I might have endurance and patience with joy. That's the, with joy is the kicker, isn't it? Because most of the time, I can make it to bedtime, right? I, I just, I'm just looking forward to that pillow, just looking forward to that pillow. I can endure. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about surviving, it's talking about thriving in the midst of hardship. The same word here, endurance, translated elsewhere as steadfast in James 1, 2 through 4. Um, and you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, and let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Where does endurance come from? How does God give it to us? Usually through trials. Oh, joy. Right? And yet God, by His strength, will give us joy as we endure and are patient. One commentator, I don't know if this is true or not, but it sure will preach. Uh, he says, endurance is going through things. Patience is with people. We're called to do both, so we'll, we'll go for it. Uh, joy and joy. That's how you know if it's from the Lord or not. Now, joy doesn't mean happy clappy all the time. But it looks ultimately to the hope that is laid up in heaven for us, which we talked about last week. The fourth qualifier here to living in a manner worthy of the Lord is... Um, it's found in verses 12 through 14, introduced in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Now, grammatically, with joy, at the end of verse 11, can either go with patience and endurance or giving thanks. In fact, different translations will do it differently. But it, applies, it, it certainly fits both ways. We can either have patience and endurance with joy or joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now, if someone came up to you at Walmart and said, hey, thank you, you had no clue who this person was. You might think they stole your wallet and you, you didn't know. Or did you just hit my car? You know, Thanksgiving, giving thanks means nothing without content. 
And so we are called to give thanks to God here, and we're told three fantastic reasons. The first is we give thanks to the Father who, number one, has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, that's a lot of words. What's he talking about? Uh, the saints in light is talking about being Christians. A saint is a Christian in light, probably in the sphere of heaven, right? the kingdom of God. Okay, so when God called his people out of Exodus... He called them out of Exodus into the promised land. They got to the promised land, and before they went in, uh, they drew lots for what their share of the inheritance would be. The inheritance was the land. They drew lots, and each tribe got their own share of the land. That's the language that's in use in here. Who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, fast forward. So they went into the promised land. They received the land, they're part of it, and, and, and the Lord uh, and, his, and his many blessings. Now we fast forward to the greater promised land from the, in the, second, great, the greater second exodus. The first exodus was out of uh, uh, bondage to the Egyptians. There's a greater exodus that is out of the bondage to sin and death achieved by a better Moses. His name is Jesus. And he's leading us into a better promised land, and we have a share in that promised land in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, this qualification, it says he has qualified you. Notice it is passive tense. It's not something you do. He, God, has qualified you. See, we by ourselves have no qualifications to enter into the inheritance of the saints in light. We have no uh, share in heaven based on our own qualifications. Why? Because the only thing we bring to the table is our sin. That's the qualification we bring. And if you're an employer, you wouldn't hire that person. God has qualified you. Now, how in the world would he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, verse 13, the second reason we give thanks. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. <laughs> this is a great verse, great verse. This is the, the, the consequence of what has happened in Christ. We were once in the domain of darkness. Darkness in Scripture, not a good thing. And it's talking about being under the control of the authority of the evil one, bound to our old sinful nature, enslaved to sin and without the knowledge of God or even the desire to be saved. Romans 8 tells us that we were hostile to God and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is impossible for them to do so. And now Christ, the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And, in, and, and, and because of that, he has transferred us out of the domain of where we used to live in darkness and spiritual death, heading hell-bound for hell forever and ever under his wrath and curse. And he has taken us and he has put us in a new location. He has put us in the kingdom of God. We belong somewhere else now. Remember we talked last week about how the Colossians have two locations. They are, they are first in Colossae, but more importantly, they are in Christ. Who has done the transferring here? Who has done the qualifying here? It's not you and me. It's not the Colossians. It's the Father. How he did it is at the end. Talking about his beloved, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption implies a purchase. Um, those of you who are old enough to remember, one or two of you maybe, 
when you could take your Coke bottles, and what would you do? You would redeem them, right? You would redeem them, and there was a redemption price. And you would get five cents or whatever, whatever it was. Uh, that's on view here. There was a price that had to be paid. There was a ransom for your soul and for mine, and only one price could do it, and it was the blood of Jesus Christ. And because the redemption price has been paid, there is now forgiveness of our sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the old has passed and the new has come. If we're in Christ, we're new creations. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We were talking in Sunday school about how fear and guilt are poor motivators beyond the first or second occurrence. Um, you can guilt someone into doing something for a little while, but it won't last very long. Our Savior has removed the guilt from us that we might live in freedom in His kingdom, seeking to please our Father in heaven because of the redemption we have in Christ. And so... Paul writes to a complex, small church in a complex, small town. Don't let every, anyone ever look down on you because you live in a small town. Life perhaps might be harder in a small town than it is in a bigger. You can't hide here. Right? You know everybody. And if you insult anybody, then you've insulted half the town because they're all related. Life is hard. But... But, by seeking the Lord, we may be filled with the knowledge of His will. And He will strengthen us by His Spirit that we might live lives that are pleasing to Him as we give thanks to the Father and all He has done for us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for all that You've done for us, the redemption that we have in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. O oh Lord, out of that we pray that You would cause us to live lives that are worthy of You, fully pleasing to You. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We'll conclude our service by standing and singing 206, There is a Redeemer. <laughs>